which I thought was a really cool idea because I mean it's it's it reminds me of like a flash mob <laughs> instead of dancing it is worth that that's a good metaphor I guess whatever you need to think Welcome to Red Wine Reads, a community of book lovers talking about our favorite and not-so-favorite books while pouring a glass or two of wine. I'm your host, Jenna Miller, and with me today is Abby Williams, one who is not missing her heart. Now, before we start, I should warn you that we do spoil the endings of the book's review, so if you don't like that, then please go finish the book and come right back to this episode. But if you're just here for the fun-loving and sometimes heated conversation, then welcome. We are so glad you're here. So whether you want to read one, none, or all of these books, the choice is up to you. We do preview these books the month before so that you have the lineup in your hands if you want to read along with us. These reviews are not backed by any science or experience, just purely two opinionated amateur readers. So you may hate the books we love or love the books we hate. Everyone has different tastes, but we hope this podcast is fun to listen to no matter how you like your books. You can tell us your opinions and your hot takes of these books on our Instagram and TikTok at rwreadspodcast. That's at R-W-R-E-A-D-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. So without further ado, let's pull some corks and get reading. This week we read Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. Abby, welcome to Red Wine Reads, another episode on this lovely Sunday afternoon or morning. It is 9 a.m. where I am. Probably like a rough start to both of our mornings, but we're here and we're doing this and we are talking about Celeste Ng's Our Missing Hearts. And as you can probably guess, it is early in the morning, so we are not drinking anything except for coffee. Again, another Abby and Jenna episode sponsored by coffee. (laughs) Sponsored by coffee. One of these times we're just going to have a Kahlua-based cocktail. We do need to do that. Or like a Bailey's. I don't know, man. Yeah, one of these days. <laughs> yeah. When I have my life together, then we'll maybe maybe do that. Well, anyways, let's just get let's just get into this. So a few quick facts about this book before we get started. Our Missing Hearts by Celeste Ng. This book was published in 2022 and it has a 3.9 out of 5 on Goodreads. So kind of, you know, right in the middle of the pack there. Celeste Ng is... The author of Little Fires Everywhere, which is adapted into a TV show that starred Carrie Washington and Reese Witherspoon by Reese Witherspoon's production company, Hello Sunshine. And then Everything I Never Told You, which is another book by Celeste Ng, which is probably one of my top 10 favorite books of all time. I freaking love that book. I put here that she is like one of my all time favorite authors. She's one of the people that I always buy books from whenever I see her name. And this is kind of her newest book that came out, which was very exciting because she hadn't come out with a book for a little bit. And so, yeah, so Little Fires Everywhere was published in 2017, and then Everything I Never Told You was 2014. So it's been a good, you know, five years since uh, her last book came out. So this was kind of like a big, this was kind of all over book talk, all over bookstagram. And so everyone was very excited. And so when you chose this book, I was very excited. I know. Uh, Shout out to TikTok. I saw it on there and I was like, Jenna, you got to read it. Got to read it. So we'll kind of dive into our characters, our summary, and then get into it. So we have Bird, um, who's our main character. He also goes by Noah, but was named was given the nickname Bird by his mother when he was young. And when we open the book, he is on this journey to try to find her. She had left the family a few years back, and so he's trying to find her. And she left a little clue for him, and it's kind of like, is it that John Green book, Paper... Paper Towns? Paper Towns, yeah, yeah. Yeah, where they kind of have clues in order to find this person. And then 
we have Margaret, who's Bird's mother. And so she is the one who left the family. And he ends up, you know, revealing that she is this poet that all these people who are sparking this revolution, they're kind of using her words as kind of their mantra in this revolution against kind of the government. And then is it Sadie? Sadie. Yep. Bird's friend who, uh, she was left by her family or taken from her family and kind of put in different foster homes. And so she was kind of on this journey to find her parents. And then she disappeared and Bird had no idea where she went. And then Dami. Short for Dominique. Dominique. Dami, who is uh, Margaret's friend. And Dami is kind of like this, the money behind the revolution. And she's like, comes from this very wealthy family and has a lot of money and has a lot of power. And so we kind of find her later in the story. And then Ethan, who is Bird's dad, Margaret's husband. And we know that Bird is biracial. His dad is white, I believe. And then his mom is Chinese American. So there we go. Here's our summary. 12-year-old Bird lives in a quiet existence with his loving father, a former linguist who now shelves books at a university library. His mother, Margaret, a Chinese-American poet, left without a trace when he was nine years old. He doesn't know what happened to her, only that her books have been banned. And he resents that she cared more about her work than about him. Then one day, Bird receives a mysterious letter containing only a cryptic drawing, and soon he is pulled into a quest to find her. His journey will take him back to many folktales she poured into his head as a child through the ranks of an underground network of heroic librarians, and finally to New York City, where he will finally learn the truth about what happened to his mother and what the future holds for them both. Our Missing Hearts is a story made new of ways supposedly civilized communities can ignore the most searing injustice. It's about lessons and legacies we pass to our children and the power of art to create change. Okay. You know what's funny is as I'm reading through this summary, yeah, this summary is also not very exciting, <laughs> not very engaging. So it's actually funny because I was talking to someone about this the other day because I will just preface this. This book took me longer to read than most books. And quite literally the other day I had a hundred pages left and I was sitting there like nothing has happened yet in the book and there's only a hundred pages left. That's uh, just kind of a glimpse into how this book went. Lots of buildup for a very short amount of action, but not really action. Yes, I had those same notes. It was an overall very slow book. There are books where like the plot is, there is no plot and we're just following characters. So I understand that there are books like that, but this one, they took a very long time describing the like fictional pact act. So, you know, it was like an act passed to make sure that the American lifestyle was not being disrupted by it was kind of focused primarily on Chinese Americans and the the Chinese like cultures. And so it spent a lot of time focusing on what is this? What was the history of this? How does this impact the people in this book? And it felt like I was reading like this government ordinance for a good 75 to 100 pages of this book. Oh, yeah, no doubt. And I get it. Like, we should know what this is because it is like a big portion of this book. But for I I said for it being like a one off dystopian novel, like it's not part of a series. So we don't need the whole like if this was going to be the first book in a series, I think it would have been more warranted. But the fact that it's just like a one off dystopian novel and we're spending 75 to 100 pages talking about this fictional government act, we could have shown it in a lot of different ways. Like we could have shown it through Sadie's Sadie being taken from her family. We could have shown it through the police that kept knocking on Ethan's door because they heard him yelling at his son. And like, there's different 
parts we could have shown, but it just felt like dry. Agreed. I really struggled. It, the, the first half of this book, I was like, oh my goodness, where's the revolution coming in? You know, and I think that's where I kept just waiting. I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. And it's hard because like this type of book obviously is very important. We went through COVID. That was a huge thing. And that's kind of sparked Asian hate crimes. And I think that's probably where, where Celeste Ng's heart was when she was writing this. She kept saying all this happening. And so I was like, okay, obviously a lot is going to happen in this book. But um, I think it's just like you said, she could have showed it instead of literally talking exactly what the pact was through Sadie, through Bird, uh, even through Margaret's experiences and her parents' experiences. Um, it just could have been shown a lot differently. I think that would have kept the audience's interest a little bit more. Yeah. And I think like you were saying, it's touching on a very important topic. Like she even says it in her author's note. We're talking about the foster care system. We're talking about children being taken from their families due to just their culture and their background a lot of the times. And we have all these displaced children and they get put into foster care system. And then they are the ones that are usually left there. They have like a higher percentage of people who are not white that are stuck in the foster care system, which sucks. And I think it's such a very important conversation that we should be having. I am just so upset because I love Celeste Ng. And I think one of her most powerful characteristics about her writing is her character development and how she builds these characters and how she gets into the minds of these characters. And I think because we spent so much time talking about the societal outcomes of everything, like we talked about the crisis, we talked about the pact, we talked about all this stuff. We really missed who Bird is, really, who Margaret is, really, because when they came together, I didn't really care about the two of them coming together. I totally agree. I was so bummed because I'm like, that is something she does so well. And I think it just got pushed to the side with everything else she was trying to tackle with this book. I felt like I knew Ethan more than I knew either of the like two main characters. I agree because you could totally feel Ethan's like anxiety, his anxiety, his fear. And then even like just his simple like love for words and things like, you know what I mean? Like it just um, she really revealed his character in a way that I don't think we got Margaret or or birds. Yeah, I think the like structure of it was weird, too, because we kind of start in the middle. Yes. With Bird coming in, trying to find his mom, and then he finds his mom, and then they go back in time to Margaret's whole story, and then we come back to the present, and then we have this whole other plot line, and then we go back to when Bird was a kid, and when Ethan and Margaret were raising Bird, and then we go back to the very end of the plot, and I was just like, what? <laughs> so that actually like brings up a really good point. I f- felt like when I was reading it, I kept like getting like startled, like jumpstart. Like, I don't know, Um, especially with how she wrote her dialogue. Very, very confusing. I think how she kind of narrated the story, because a lot of the time it's jumping from Bird to Margaret. And obviously it's a what when they meet up, is he 14, 13 or 14? 12, I think. Oh, really? No, you're right. You're right. Okay, so 12. I think he maybe turns 13 as he's finding her. Okay, but like he's he's younger preteen era and like I don't know uh, when they were having like dialogue or something he'd be telling the story from his perspective and then boom all of a sudden we go to Margaret's and she's dropping like F-bombs and stuff 
And like in my brain, I'm still in a little preteen mindset. And so like, I felt like I just kept being like, oh my God, like, whoa. Yes. No, I totally agree. I was thrown off by Margaret's character, to be totally honest. I had no idea what to think about her. Yeah. Because Bird was describing her as this kind of quiet soul, like very intellectual, but also very caring, but also very creative and like this, you know, very complicated mind. And then you kind of meet her and you're like, ugh. Yeah. I'm going to be honest, though. I think it's the kind of character where she wanted readers to not know Margaret because Margaret didn't know Margaret. You know, like she wanted her to kind of be like this confused character. Because, for instance, she starts this, not starts it, but she is a big part of this revolution by accident. Her, She wrote this poem called Our Missing Hearts when she's breastfeeding her son, a a mom trying to learn the, the ropes of everything. And then all of a sudden, it's like this huge thing in this revolution that's happening, standing against pact. And so I think that's kind of what I mean, I could be wrong. That's what I kind of got from Celeste Ng. Like she wants that confusion that Margaret herself doesn't know what she is. She loved being a, a housewife. She loved being at home gardening, but she was turning a blind eye. So then finally she like starts to see all these things. And then she's kind of like, oh, okay, that's going to light a fire under me. Now I see what's going on. Yeah. No, I like that perspective because I think I think it was really hard to connect with Margaret on a lot of levels. And I think that maybe it was intentional. You're forced to kind of have these tough conversations. And so it's like now you have to reassess your entire life and who you are and what you're doing. There was one one page that finally I was like, okay, Margaret, I I like where you're headed here. But it's page 234. And she says the idea was not fully formed in her mind yet. Only a need the need to make up for years of choosing to look away of remaining deliberately incurious for thinking that it didn't matter as long as it was somebody else's child. And I think at that point, it kind of I think Celestine kind of captures what a lot of people do what a lot of people are, how they think about certain things by having uh, Margaret actually admit that. She's like, I have been deliberately incurious. Just by that part, she was capturing a lot of people in just that one character. No, I agree. I think when you start getting into like the second half of this book where Bird finds Margaret and they get past her whole backstory and then they're talking about kind of the action now and she's putting all these little bottle caps everywhere and you're kind of like, what is she doing with that? And then she ends up sacrificing her life for just like the cause or maybe who knows we don't really know what kind of happened to her it's still kind of a mystery yeah that was like very vague at the end and I was like is she good like she just arrested or like I don't know I I did not get that I also did not get that but especially how birds like I'll find her in the poems at the very end I was like shoot dude I know I think it is I don't know I, I started getting back into the book at that point and where like Sadie and Bird are trying to just like wait it out and they we're told to just wait and then they're sitting there and they have no idea what's happening and I think it showed like the power of art and the power of creativity and the power of speaking words that nobody else wants to speak because of the you know history and the pain and the sorrow that's hidden behind these words and kind of like the shame that's associated with the stories of these loved ones that have been through so much and you're like what are you doing to stop it I thought that part was so good I was like we could have just had the whole plot like leading yeah into this and like we did not need all the backstory that took up the whole first two thirds of this book but yeah it's not my book so I I genuinely do think that's the biggest downfall it's so hard when you have a book where it's like obviously it's so important 
she's a wonderful writer. Like her attention to detail and kind of bringing out human emotion just by the, you know, the environment that they're in. But yeah, it, it's just so prolonged. I was like, okay, we got to get to the actual meat of the story sooner. It's just like disappointing a little bit, but I think her writing is still really pretty. Like this line I highlighted, it said, maybe she thinks this is simply what living is, an infinite list of transgressions that did not weigh against the joys, but that simply overlaid them. The two lists mingling and merging all the small moments that made it, made up the mosaic of a person, a relationship, a life. <sighs> She's like touching on such great points and has this beautiful way of writing and this beautiful poetry and this beautiful story and this hard story and this creative take on it. And it just, the pieces just didn't quite fit together in my reading of it. So I was just like overall a little sad. Yeah, it's hard because like I said, I have tons of highlighted in my book, like so much, but like, again, it's pieces. And it just like collectively, I don't think really came together as she probably hoped. Yeah, it was almost as if it was like a series of short stories that were kind of pieced together, but like tried to like force a common thread through it. And it just like didn't. Right. Didn't go. Yeah. And then like I had a question just because I genuinely didn't know. So like the actual plan. So going to the actual plot of the story, their plan with the the little bottle caps filled with the radios or the transmitters or whatever all across New York City, kind of just saying recordings of the stories that she's heard. How would it have worked? Because obviously word of mouth. So people are going to be like, oh, yeah, that happened. Like that was crazy. I was standing in the middle of, you know, Times Square. And all of a sudden I heard these like this booming voice telling like these stories of these children and these families who lost their kids. But like, how would that have worked nationally? Because there was still censorship with journalism. Obviously, reporters couldn't report that. Do you know what I mean? Like, how would that have started the fire going forward? I don't know. I think it's that almost like meta thing of the author being like, this is the power of just telling a story because that person is going to, let's say that person's there on vacation. And then they're like, oh my God, when I was in New York, this happened. And then they take that home to wherever. And then their friends are going to tell their friends and then their friends are going to tell their friends. And so it's like before we had Twitter, before we had Facebook, before we had Instagram, before we had the news and before we had even newspapers, people were telling stories orally and like passing it down. So let's take it back to the like the very beginning and let's just see what happens. So it really is just encouraging people to just say something. Okay. I like see. And I like that. Like once you explain it like that and I'm like, okay, that makes sense. But literally the entire time I was like, how, how would this work? Yeah, no, I mean, that's how I interpreted it. I don't know if that's how she wants it interpreted, <laughs> but, but that's how I interpreted, which I thought was a really cool idea. Cause I mean, it's, it's, it reminds me of like a flash mob. <laughs> instead of dancing it is worse that that's a good metaphor i guess whatever you need to think but i, I okay so then what what did we like about the book um <laughs> i i kind of touched on it i mean i i liked the end like i liked the last little portion of this where starting with them going to the woods that part was really powerful i think her telling the stories was really powerful and yeah so not a lot not a lot okay okay I mean, again, her writing is really nice and I just, yeah. I think one of my favorite parts was actually how she tied in. I'm always interested in like why authors call books what they call them. Like, why did you title it that? And so I was obviously very interested in the idea of Our Missing Hearts, how this poem she didn't even mean to be a part of the revolution became like one of the main things for it. 
And I kind of, I don't know, this is probably me just like looking way too far into it, but it just got me thinking. So obviously one of the main themes in this book is kind of especially American ignorance, but just kind of human ignorance in general. But I think with our missing hearts, it was powerful because you're not looking at outward appearance. You're looking at your heart. So these kids are being taken from their home and it's literally a piece of their heart is missing. You know, it's not what they look like. It's not anything like that. It's so I think I think that was really powerful and how she kind of tied that in. I don't know. Again, I might be reaching. (laughs) No, I think I think, again, the overarching story and the overarching themes of this book are really strong and really powerful and really well done. It was just like the storytelling of it all kind of ironically got a little lost in the like details of everything and kind of wanting to say like, why are these people watching them so closely? How could a government pass a law like this? What would drive them to? And it's honestly not that far off, which is terrifying. But Again, I'm like, if this was like one in a series, I think it would have been chef's kiss perfect. And they like would have like drawn out the second part into like another book. I think it would have been fine. But it's a little too dry, a little too dense for a one off. Well, Celestine, if you ever listen to this, perhaps start a series. Sadie could have had her own book about her her situation, you know, and like a ton of other kids, you know, families who were torn apart could have had their own. I also thought that was kind of not great how they just kind of like went over the crisis. <laughs> they were like, we were scrounging on the streets, going through dumpster, trying to like, like save up for tampon, things like that. Like, I was just like, what is happening? Like, and then all of a sudden it was like over and I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, I think we spent the wrong amount of time on the wrong, um, wrong side of this thing. I was like, what the hell was the crisis and what the heck happened? Well, see, and that's the thing, too. When I first started reading it, I thought the crisis was COVID, genuinely. Like, that's what I thought. That's what I thought it was, especially because she was talking about how they blamed it on China. What have a lot of Americans done and the world blamed it on China? And so, like, that's what I thought it was about. And then they got to the crisis and I was like, this isn't COVID. Probably is symbolic of it because we did have an economic, you know, downfall during that. But yeah, well... Let's get into our final ratings. I gave it a three and a half stars out of five. I just said it's a really powerful story of the parent-child relationship. And it's a really cool premise, a really strong premise. Her ability to kind of deep dives into the in deep dive into the heads of her characters on is unmatched, but I feel like this book fell short in some ways. Um, it just felt disconnected and lacking. But I said I'm still a, fan, a huge fan of Celestine's work, so I will continue to look for any new work by her. But I think this one just unfortunately missed the mark in a number of ways. Well, I, I, I mean, 3.5. Yeah. Okay. So I went with, I went with the 3.8. I mean, again, I'm a, I'm a strong message person. Like if it's a good message, then I'm like, okay, then it, it, there is some redeeming factor in it. And I just really feel like this book called readers to kind of not only like self-reflect on their own preconceived notions on, you know, how they view people and what they look like, all that, but they all, it also kind of actively just addresses American ignorance I don't know. We just really go for the silent instead of choosing fire. She says that in one of her books or or one of her her lines. Let me let me find it because it literally was so powerful. I was like, oh, my goodness. She says instead of silence, she chose fire. And I'm like, okay, 
that's why I like this book because I was like, that's exactly what it's doing. It's giving us a call to action. Don't choose to be silent. Choose fire. Choose to to disrupt. Choose to challenge. And I really liked that. So I do think she did a good job of calling people out. And any person who's re- going to read this book, they're going to self-reflect on that. They're going to be like, okay, do I view this differently? Would I speak up in that situation? But uh, yeah, I really did have an issue. One with the the jump jumping um, narration that that got me. It kind of just took me out of the story sometimes, and just overall way too much time spent on packed what it is and not enough time on the actual plot. There you have it. Alrighty, well let's get into our pairings. where we pick TV shows, movies, and other books that might pair well with today's book and also drinks. Do you want to start it out? Sure. So (laughs) I'll start with my drink because really, I'm going to be honest with you. The only reason I'm pairing it is because I had one while I was reading it. And so (laughs) that is why I'm doing it. There's a brewing company here in good old Albuquerque, New Mexico called Tractor Brewing. And they have a, a blood orange cider that was so good. And it's like a really like fun color, bright orange and stuff. And I just feel like that was what Margaret always wanted. She wanted the bright summery days filled with her her husband and her son. And then it turned out to be the opposite of what she actually got. So that's my pairing for that. And it was delicious. If you ever come to Albuquerque, please try it. Okay, so TV, I kind of have two depending on your mood. But obviously, she talks about how children are taken out of their homes a lot. And I've been watching 1883, which is a prequel to Yellowstone. And one of the biggest plots in that story is actually in the Native American community that exactly happening, uh, children being taken out, forced to go to this specific school, and a lot of just terrible things happen in it. So uh, 1883 is a good pairing for that one. Or this has been very, very popular because it's currently going on. HBO Max came out with The Last of Us, which is a show based on a video game. But that's that's a perfect pairing, I think, with this. Um, it's kind of... Just a lot going on. Uh, The crisis, economic downfall. The world feels like it's ending, but it's not all that good good stuff. Obviously, I was trying to be original with the book and the movie pairing, but it's hard to be original with this because there's just some obvious answers. Uh, For book, I have Handmaid's Tale. (laughs) And then for the movie, I have Fahrenheit 451. So I feel like you don't need explanations on those. Always. (laughs) My drink? was a like dark stout. I feel like it kind of reminds me drinking the the process of drinking a stout reminds me of the process of reading this book where it's like very dense. You have to drink it slowly. You have to kind of take it in page by page. And at the end of it, you feel a little bloated and a little bit like, huh. And so it's a little heavier than other books slash beers. So that's what I would pair with that. My TV show is the (laughs) Umbrella Academy because you have the same theme of these children being taken from their families and being put into these. This is a more fictional, quite literal fighting uh, situation where they're, you know, made to be weapons and made to use. But kind of in in the same sense as this book, like they're just these commodities that are being like traded and being like thrown into this foster care system. And it's just like unfair and terrible. So I think and they're taken for like unjust reasons a lot of the time as well. So, and then my book is, I have two. Uh, Like I said, like I mentioned at the top of the episode, Everything I Never Told You by Celeste Ng, it talks about the Chinese American experience living in, living in America and just like all these prejudices that come with it. It's a phenomenal book. I think that it's, 
more concise and a little bit more narrowed in on just one family instead of like the societal impact of things. And so I think if you're looking for something along the lines of this book, but maybe a little bit more character centric, a little bit more family centric, I think everything I never told you is such a great option. And then I did The Institute by Stephen King. And so that's another one where kids are taken out of their homes because they are special and they're thrown into this place called The Institute. And they either have telekinetic powers or telepathic powers so they can read minds or move things with their minds or destroy things with their minds. And so they're taken out of their homes like very abruptly, like in the middle of the night and just like taken to this institute. And so again, kind of that uh, forcibly removing children from their homes type theme. And it's also again, in the quite literal sense, fighting a war that they should not be fighting type of thing. And so that one's really good. And then my movie is going to be everywhere, everything, everywhere, all at once. I feel like I've, we've paired it with something else quite recently. But again, it's just such a beautiful story of the parent-child relationship for one. And then the the struggles and the turmoils of, of a family who had immigrated into the U.S. and trying to make it, trying to face all this prejudice and trying to just create a life for themselves. And so I think that it's such a good movie. Um, highly recommend that you see it if you haven't already. And those are my pairings. Those are good pairings. Good, good, good pairings. <laughs> Well, uh, that's the show. Thanks so much for joining me, as always, Abby. And we'll look forward to the next book. I'm excited. Catch 22. Woo! Stay tuned. Gonna be fun. Alrighty, until next time, cheers. Well, that's the show. Thanks so much for listening. If you liked it, please go give it five stars on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. If you want more book-related content, you can find us on Instagram and TikTok at Podcast. Again, that's at R-W-R-E-A-D-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T at Podcast on Instagram and TikTok. Until next week, keep your books open and your drink glasses full. Thanks all.